This is the Chillinoy Podcast. You guys want to smoke a joint? I think my daughter back from emergency child protection services. I'm all stressed out. Come on, let's get stoned. Fuck you then. I got to deal with a bunch of government dicks. You guys work for the government too? Fucking idiots. Today we are joined by Mike Fouché from Grown In. Grown In follows the legal cannabis industry, reporting on names, companies, regulators, and business moves you need to know. And they're actually based out of Illinois, Chillinois as we call it. Um, you can check them out on grownin.com. And I just wanted to, before I introduce Mike, I wanted to plug that um, they're actually having an event. Maybe you can briefly, maybe you can talk about this during your in- introduction. They're having an event where um, dispensary owners tell us what issues they've faced. That's an event sponsored by Canna- Cannabis Business Association of Illinois. It's on Wednesday, July 8th at 1230 p.m. It's free to register. All you got to do is go to grownin.com and uh, on the right side of their webpage, you'll just see a little banner that says exactly what I was just talking about. Three dispensary owners tell us what issues do they face and you'll see uh, in red text, click here to register. Just click register and uh, I'm sure it's going to be a very interesting session. Mike, welcome to the show. Great to be here. Thank you, Cole. Yeah, tell us a little bit about that uh, event coming up, if you don't mind. Sure. You know, it's so weird to call it an event, you know, because it's not like people in a room. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, true. You know, know, we don't really do that so much anymore these days. Um, It is a webinar, and uh, we've got three different dispensary owners uh, that are going to be coming to talk about just the things that they're struggling with as dispensary owners here in Illinois. Uh, The owner of... Uh, Nature's Treatment in Quincy, uh, the owner of the two Thrive dispensaries in far south Illinois and Anna and Harrisburg, and then also the owner of uh, the NewMed dispensaries and also their cultivation site they just acquired too. And NewMed has uh, sites in Urbana, uh, Chicago, Chicago, and Peoria, I think. East right? Peoria, East Peoria. Yeah, that's the other one. And uh, So I'm pretty excited. I think it's going to be really interesting. I've talked to all these people in the past, and uh, they are all extremely forthright people. And I think our interview by uh, my partner, Brad, is going to be really, really fun. Good to hear. Good to hear. So yeah, check that out, people. Once again, uh, you just go to grownin.com, and on the right-hand side of the website, you'll see a little banner um, that says uh, that you know three dispensary owners tell us what issues do they face. Um, and there's a little, but the, 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 the image itself, uh, if you click on it, it's free to register. So yeah, yeah. Free to register. And it'll be on Wednesday at, uh, 1230 PM central. Hell yeah. Good deal. Um, so I, uh, already said where our, our listeners can find your reporting. That's at grownin.com. Can you tell us about, um, what started grownin.com and, um, from what I can tell, you start you you work with a guy named Brad on this. Can you just kind of tell us the origin story and what you know inspired you to start Grown In? So Brad Spearson is my partner, and and actually I've known Brad since high school. Uh, although you know, we were in touch, we weren't necessarily good friends. Um, he and I both worked in and out of news and have been reporters over the last twenty odd years. And uh, whereas I've been working more as a political reporter and, and the most recent thing I did before Grown In is that I founded a, uh, a political newsletter called uh, The Daily Line, which covers Chicago City Hall and, and Springfield. Uh, and then I sold that a couple of years ago. Brad has been a business reporter uh, and has reported for, he had a column in the Sun-Times for a while. Uh, he's written for Chicago Magazine, Business Week. Uh, he's he's gotten around quite a bit, and uh, he had a big background in technology and covering technology in Chicago and Illinois. Uh, and then he actually went to go start a, a group of uh, ed tech companies and work in a bunch of ed tech companies. And Brad uh, <laughs> is what we like to say a connoisseur. And back in high school, he was a cannabis connoisseur. Uh, although I'm not sure we would have used that term in, in the 80s and the <laughs> 90s. And uh, so he was really, really interested in what was going on with cannabis and kept coming to me and saying, Mike, we should do something. We should do something. We should do something. 
and you know we should do a new site. We should do a new site. And finally, I relented uh, in in December, and then in January we started working together, and we started putting together some newsletters, and and they've grown and grown and grown. Uh, and I think we've gotten a lot better and sharper at, at our reporting. Uh, and so that has been most of what we've been putting our energy into. We have a, a secondary aspect that we hope to be launching soon, which is offering training uh, in the cannabis space. But that should, that's probably another month or two away before we're ready to really start putting that out there. But that is coming. That's exciting. That's exciting yeah. to hear about. So I was going to ask about your background in journalism, but you kind of covered that. Um, one of the things that um, I find that separates you, that, that has separated you guys from the rest is that you are, you're reporting with information. <laughs> Some of these uh, <laughs> articles are, you know, just kind of talking about it. And you're, it seems like your focus is the hard data you even I was reading an article this morning where, you know, you present the data here, you can download the data and then here are our conclusions from the data. Right. And yeah. I really like that, that layout. Can you really, I guess my question is, um, there's, there's a lot of questions here, but, um, one of the things that I read that you said, I believe it was one of the articles you wrote is that, you know, these dispensaries and in, in this industry rather, um, they don't really have to comply with FOIAs, although that is that how you get some of this data through FOIAs? Is that correct? Yes and no. Uh, so uh, let's, that's two questions I heard. The first is, you know, how do you get the information? Sure. And the other is, you know, where'd you come from? Why do you do this? Um, right. the, let's answer the, the second one, which is what they have to give. You know, businesses, they don't have to comply with FOIAs. They don't have to tell us anything. Um you know, that's, it's a free country. Uh, governments do. Uh, and uh, in the case, I think that you're talking about uh, dispensary owners and who are dispensary owners, the state of Illinois uh, is not required to disclose who the dispensary owners are. They do have a list of who the principal owners are of all the various dispensaries and cultivation sites but that list is uh, hard to parse and hard to get through. And it only lists one person. Uh, so, yeah. it, you know, for instance, you might have a, a place that has a, a number of different owners. And so for the case of owners of dispensaries, what I did is that I looked up the, the corporate ownership records, the LLCs with the secretary of state. Uh, and then I looked up who's listed as the, as the members for LLCs, because if you're, if you're an LLC, you have to list by law, all the different members, but it doesn't tell you what percentage each of those people own. And so it could be fairly significant. Uh, so that's how I piece together those kind of things for the, but I, I don't know who owns how much. And there's a, a complicated set of different ownerships, you know, for instance, Windy City Cannabis, and grassroots are two different groups of dispensaries that each have four dispensaries in Illinois. So that's eight dispensaries altogether. And they're operated by the same group of people, but they have two different ownership groups. And the ownership groups include a mix of the different people who own different pieces of it, but we don't know how much. And, uh, you know, we don't know what percentage and so it can be really complicated uh, about who owns what and, and how much is there. In the state of Illinois, uh, the way that they set it up is that when you apply to get a license, you have to put down who owns what percentage, how much of the application group. And the way that FOIA law is set up in Illinois, and not just Illinois, but most states, is that applications to governments are not covered by FOIA. So the state says, well, this information is in the application. And so therefore it's not covered by FOIA. I think gotcha. that that's, that's pretty ridiculous. It should be a lot, that ownership information should pass through into a different status. And that's well, a state. Especially, especially considering the reason I was asking that question is because you've, you've 
come you've brought to light something that uh, I saw a discussion start on the Illinois medical cannabis community, which there's a lot of members of normal on there. And they were basically talking about the fact that there is a law in Illinois, and maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe there's a law in Illinois that one individual or one group can only own 10 dispensaries. But on that same token, like you're saying, there's no real like way to look who owns what dispensary. So it's almost as if that law that like, how are we going to enforce it if there's no checks or balances? You know what I mean? There's no publicly disclosed way. And essentially the state is telling us, don't worry about it. We're enforcing it. Uh, Which is frustrating, you know? Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. One of the things that's interesting to, to think about with Illinois, you know, you compare how the Illinois cannabis agencies are structured they're very loose uh compared to say michigan which was set up about the same time at least recreational was michigan has created a central agency the marijuana regulation authority or agency i can't remember mra it's a marijuana regulatory agency agency okay so they've got a central agency and their central agency has a person who conducts quarterly meetings that are public and you can contact them. And that one agency regulates all the different aspects of cannabis. Uh, Whereas in Illinois, we have multiple agencies that all regulate different aspects. Right. IDFPR, Illinois Department of Ag, Department of Health, Department of Public Health, and even the state police, the state police come and they, you know, check out whether or not your transportation stuff is being done correctly. And so there's, there's a lot of different aspects to it. And that's pretty frustrating. Absolutely. Um, I just wanted to say that I didn't know the MRA off the top of my head. I was researching some of your articles and you're the yeah. only reason that I know that, what the MRA is in Michigan. So <laughs> so if I sounded smart, it's because of you, Mike. So oh, um, you. <laughs> yeah, so you, you just kind of were talking about this. Um, I wanted to uh, speak about an article that I recently read uh, from you. Um, but the, I guess my blanket question is, how does the cannabis industry in Illinois compare to other states uh, with adult use? Um, Well, so the states that right now have adult use are, I'm going to go east, Alaska, Washington, Oregon, California, Nevada, Colorado, uh, Illinois, Michigan, Massachusetts, uh, and Maine does too. Um, but Maine hasn't, uh, legalized adult use sale yet, which Mm. is interesting. They have, yeah, that's perplexing. They're sort of in that process. Um, I think I got everybody there. Maybe I missed one, but the differences are, um, you know, in terms of the consumer, not very much, uh, in most of those States, there's now plenty of dispensaries, although not as many as you might see in other places. Um, the, the big difference is really how the industry operates and how easy it is for a smaller business to make money versus, you know, how dominant larger businesses are. Um, Washington state has this amazing, crazy thing. Oh, it's not crazy, but an amazing thing, which is that they have something like 600 grow licenses in the state. So, and, and yeah, so it's a lot, a lot of really, really small growers. And, uh, as a result, the average price per pound of cannabis in Washington, I think is, it's like 1300, $1,500 a pound. Right. You can get an ounce for like 50 bucks. Right. Whereas in (laughs) Illinois, the average price is like $4,500 a pound. So, you know, that's, that's a pretty big difference. Um, and so those things are, are really significant. Now, that being said, uh, as expensive as cannabis is in Illinois, Illinois has a much more uh, active regulatory system. Uh, the, the state 
does a lot to encourage, or at least it seems like they're doing a lot to encourage social equity ownership. And we have to see when these first set of licenses comes out uh, or the next set of licenses comes out, which was due earlier, these, right. these 75 dispensary licenses and, and the 40 craft grow licenses. You know, that that's the big question. How many of those are going to go to social equity applicants? Um, and, uh, you know, that, that makes a big difference. You know, Michigan doesn't really try to tip the scale. Michigan, or I'm sorry, Massachusetts doesn't, Washington doesn't all, doesn't really do much at all for social equity applicants and neither does Colorado or California or Nevada. Um, so those are some pretty big differences. Uh, Illinois has a lot, a lot of multi-state operators, uh, Michigan, not so much. And uh, what I'm told is, is that in Michigan, uh, multi-state operators don't like the state because it's not, the number of licenses isn't controlled as much as it is in Illinois. It's much easier for somebody to get a license in Michigan than it is in Illinois. Ah, so they can't control the market, in other words. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Right. And I think it's important to make the distinction so that people know you're talking about Washington having 600 cultivation licenses. Um, Illinois has like 20 and I think 17 are active. Am I correct? No, it has 21. It has 21. 21. All are active. Oh, good. Okay. They're they're active to different levels, you know, Mm. uh, there. So for instance, uh, Verano has a license that they only got going in February. So, you know, they're probably next month going to start seeing, their first real product coming out in, in August. Uh, it takes about six months or so, I'm told, for a grow cycle. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a few others that aren't necessarily doing well, but they're owned by large companies. And so, you know, the question is, why aren't they doing well? well maybe it's a question of ability to execute, but maybe it's also a question of uh, ability to invest. Sure. Um, um... That's, I was going to ask. Interesting thing. Yeah, absolutely. I was going to ask. What do you, just to clarify? What do you mean by Verano just started their license in February? Um, just mm-hmm. the reason I asked that is because do you mean like an adult use license? The reason I asked that is because just as a medical cannabis patient, um, I saw a change in Verano, and they've just been operating for you know for as long as I've been a patient. So I you just, know what? I got it wrong. It's not Verano. It's, it's Columbia care. Excuse me. Oh, okay. No uh, problem. Verano owns the largest producer, which is Ataraxia and Ataraxia right. has been producing quite a bit. It's Columbia care. Excuse me. Columbia care had uh, originally wanted to build their cultivation site in Lake County. And there was a, a big lawsuit that I don't know all the details of, but they fought to try and build their site there. They lost the suit, and so then they looked for another site to relocate to, which is North Aurora, and they built their place in North Aurora and were only able to come online and start producing in February. Gotcha, gotcha. So, you know, and it's interesting that there's only 21 licenses in Illinois, but once you have a license to cultivate, you can do anything you want. There's almost no limitation in size. Whereas other states, uh, I think it's Massachusetts, if you don't produce 70, so they have different tiers for what it is that you're licensed for uh, in terms of canopy space. And so in Massachusetts, if you don't produce, up, if you don't sell 70% of what you're licensed for, then the state can come and knock you down. Sort of like being in a European soccer league. You know, if, if you can't make it in one level, you get knocked down to the next level. Well, and so um, with that said, so that's a that's an interesting idea that gets my thoughts going. Um, so are you saying that Illinois cultivators, they don't really have like a limit to to real estate? Is that the idea or? As long um, as it's on the same site. Yes. Awesome. So why do you think, and we'll get into this a little bit in a little bit, you know, the topic of craft grow and stuff, but why do you think craft growers are so limited in space Uh, some have argued the reason i asked that some have argued that the limitations are barely profitable well the argument 
you know, I can't really speak to the exact size, but the argument was made that a craft grow site can sell and they as as much as they can produce. So, you know, they're supposed to be like a craft brewery. Uh, sure. And, and so the idea being that you have no middleman, you'll eliminate the middleman, whereas a dispen- a cultivator has to sell to a dispensary. And while they may own some of their own dispensaries, you know, a certain percentage, they're going to end up selling to all different other kinds of places if they're going to be successful. You know, I there were a lot of... One of the things you have to keep in mind is, um, on the one hand, the Illinois Illinois is the first state to pass recreational uh, use and sales uh, by legislative law rather than a referendum. Right. And so, on the one hand, that's great because the legislature could establish intent and things that they wanted to do and give direction to the state regulators, and the state regulators could follow that. But on the other hand. One of the things that happened is, is that the legislators worked in a very, very short period of time in order to write a lot of the law. And as a result, a lot of these things are encased in law rather than regulation. And because they're encased in law, they can only be changed by law, which means the state legislature has to get involved again. So uh, the, regu- the regulators have their hands tied to a certain extent. And so that's why you see things like the uh, this there was a special session in May uh, that you know the there were there were a lot of changes that they attempted to make to the cannabis law, but the whole there was a bill a cannabis bill that tried to move but got shut down because there was a picayune problem that a group had with it, and so all of the changes that they needed to make to update cannabis law in Illinois got stopped. Yeah. So, you know, there, there's a lot of pluses and minuses to our system. For sure. For sure. So I wanted to back up to something that you had said, just because it reminded me of a guest we had on in the past. Uh, we had the Illinois Hemp Growers Association on in the past, mm-hmm. and they spoke about the fact that um, hemp growers now can sell to, I think, cultivation centers in Illinois, uh, like mm-hmm. a, you know, like refined product. Um I wanted to return to what you were saying about craft growers. You were saying that, you know, craft growers can sell to anyone. Is that kind of what you mean? Like they can either sell to a dispensary directly or they can sell to like a, a cultivations or a processing center is, so I've that's just, correct. this is just me inter- being interested in. So that's awesome. Yeah, Interesting. that's correct. So um, you can, you could decide, well, I want to go see what this craft grower is doing and go visit that craft grower and buy a product from them right there and then go to your car and oh, smoke Oh, wow. It, you know, wow, so, I didn't realize that that was, that was the case. So Yes, yes. Interesting. You, you that is like totally that. new. You could not go to a Cresco Labs grow site and buy something from them. They couldn't sell it to you legally. You know, they would have wow. to make it and then sell it to a dispensary and then you buy it from a dispensary. Craft grow sites, the idea is, is that you would be able to buy it right there. And so they completely cut out the middleman. Wow. That is awesome. That, that really gets my mind going to like, what is when post, you know, COVID um, what the Illinois cannabis market's going to look like, because if people are going directly to a craft growers location, I would imagine that tours and things like things of that nature will start to pop up in Illinois, which I'm, I'm excited for. You know, you see all that stuff in Colorado and everything else. So, are there tours in Colorado? You can go on tours. A fair few. For example, uh, I went on a tour of the Medicine Man cultivation facility. Um, You know, you don't go in to the grow, but they open the doors and you can peer in. They don't, you know, allow you to walk in. And Uh post COVID, I don't know if. You know, with COVID, I don't. I imagine the tours stopped, but I don't know if they'll cease just because of the fact that people are walking around consumable product. But again, they keep you a good distance away from the product. It's a very interesting experience if you get the chance to do it. Definitely do it, man. When you get out of the bus, I've been to that Medicine Man dispensary before. Uh, just forewarning people: don't buy things for Medicine Man. I, <laughs> Okay. It's expensive. It's expensive. That's all. Okay. You know, you can find it's good. There's some good stuff, but it's just expensive. It's one of those. It's a tourist trap is I guess what I'm trying to say. Got but it. What they do offer is a really nice tour. 
And so when you get out of the bus, you can smell it outside, like right when right. you step out of your vehicle. And uh-huh. the smell inside of the grow is what I imagine heaven smells like or uh-huh. the afterlife. Yeah. It's just, right. like I say, you definitely got to check that out. But um, <laughs> to return to our uh, yeah. topic of conversation about the Illinois cannabis market, one of the points I wanted to like drill home it's something that you reported on is that state data shows that 77% of Illinois cultivation of the Illinois cultivation market is actually controlled by six companies, which is yes. pretty, pretty crazy. You know, it yes. kind of proves the point of what you were talking about um, earlier, which is that this is, you know, kind of a, a much smaller market. You know what I mean? So. It is in reality, it is much smaller and, um, you know, in demand that, though, it's, it's, yeah. It, is that what you were about to say? It, you know, the market like, itself may be small, like the infrastructure set up, but the demand is like right up there with any of these other States. I mean, Illinois is one of the most populated States in the United, in, in the nation. Yeah. And the I mean, fact that we only have 20, 21 cultivation licenses, that's like, to me, it's mind boggling. It is but Like you say, it's that quick turnaround, you know, with, it, with, uh, Go ahead. It is a good question. Uh, I mean, it and it should be that there is a lot more growth allowed. But you know, before all of this started, you know, one of the big arguments was, well, there's a small group of people that have had to invest a lot of money uh, into these cultivation sites, and I'm not. It's not entirely clear to me if these places are profitable yet. Um, because there's there's a lot of issues with uh, the amount of investment that you have to put in. And because of federal tax law, uh, cannabis production doesn't get the same amount of deductions and doesn't get the same amount of, uh, well, deductions with taxes that everything else does. Uh, so it, it is harder to make money. And you also can't leverage your own cash with loans from a bank. So that is another big issue. Uh, From a business perspective, you know, you have to come up with a lot of hard cash, a lot of equity in order to have a cannabis business. Um, You know, people that I've talked to that are kind of on the higher financing end, you know, they're all telling me, look, we don't really believe that cannabis business is kind of thing where that you can run where you'll make your money uh, in the short term or, or even owning a business. It's not really the kind of thing, you know, I hold on to it for 10 years and, and that's how I make a living. It, it seems to me that most people that are, that own cannabis businesses are running them with the expectation that they'll make their money when they sell it. And it will be some time down the line when cannabis becomes a big money making operation. So everyone is kind of betting on the come that it's going to be yep. this big money-making operation down the line. Yeah, that's what I tell some of my personal friends is that I wouldn't, you know, and look at all these brands that are around and you look at them in Colorado and, and California. There's so many different brands. And um, I guess the point that I try to make to my friends is that you'd be surprised to see a lot of these brands see see their way through. You know what I mean? The, I that's right. It's almost like pump and dump, you know, pump it up sell it when when you can so yeah um yeah so we were hoping that some of the pressure in this industry would be relieved all this pressure that we're talking about i mean you're talking about for what did you say forty five hundred dollars a pound for cannabis in illinois uh wholesale that's a number i've seen kicked around yeah yeah it sounds about right i mean and this is it's no shock that they're charging sometimes $80 an eighth for it. I mean, you have to mm-hmm. keep the lights on if you're, t- <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so yeah. like you say, uh, it's almost, it's, uh, you're in a tough place to profit. Um, I think is the point you were trying to make there. But again, yes. we were hoping that pressure in this industry would be relieved, um, by licenses being awarded. Can you tell us about the most recent delay of licenses? And there were a few and honestly, it would help me if you could break it down. So I know that the, the craft growers were delayed. The craft growing licenses were delayed. But then there were some, like, I think it was dispensary licenses and maybe cultivation licenses that were also delayed. Am I, am I wrong in that? 
You're right. I think there was like three. You're right in all this. So let's let's talk about this for a minute. There's really three different groups of licenses in Illinois right now that that we're all waiting on. Well, the first group we're not waiting on. The first group is that the 55 uh, medical dispensaries that were operating as of December 31st, 2019, they all have an opportunity to open up a second location uh, that is recreational only. So it could be that you could have 110 licenses across Illinois. Nice. But most people that, so right now, as of today, there's only 64. And most of the dispensaries I've spoken to have said, I'm not interested in opening up a second location until I know that there's a lot more supply and then I can get it into my store. Uh, and then there are also a significant number, there's eight or nine dispensaries that have remained medical only because they feel that the hassle of dealing with recreational taxation and new recreational licensing and marketing is too much and they can make money and do just fine for now with the growing set of medical patients. You know, I think in, in the last six months, the state has approved something like uh, 35, 40,000 more medical patients. So, yeah. you know, we're, we're adding more medical patients at a pretty fast clip anyway. I, I wish they would add, so I look at that report every month when it comes out. I need to see the report from this month if it's been released, the the number of Illinois, the number of registered patients mm-hmm. in the Illinois Medical Cannabis Program. Um, I'm actually pulling it up right now. Um, yeah, it was just released on July 2nd. That's cool. So it looks yep. like we've gotten, um, uh, Illinois Department of Health has approved 121,775 qualifying patients, including 673 persons under the uh, years, uh, sorry, under the age of 18 years, uh, which is about, so, 30, about 3,500 more than there were last month, which is not right. that big a jump. It was actually the, the previous month, it was 10,000 that they added. Uh, yeah. I wish they would list, um, the best number you can get. And you're probably better with numbers than me. Well, I know you're better with numbers than me. I've seen your articles. Um, <laughs> uh, I wish they would list the number of currently enrolled patients because the best number you can get is unique patients. Mm-hmm. And look, I know it might be more a morbid discussion or whatever, because some of these patients with their conditions, they may have passed or they may just not have recertified. I mean, either way, it'd be nice to know how many patients are actually enrolled in the program because I hate that they post that just, you know, it's nice to see that 121,000 people have been approved since 2014, but if it expires every three years, that's, I, in my opinion, that's not giving you an accurate number, you know, yeah, I, don't, I don't know how they're purging roles. I don't know how they're doing that. That's a good question. I, yeah. Well, and soon, you know, I don't, I don't know what the tie up with this is and maybe you, uh, maybe you do, um, don't feel inclined to speak on it if it's something that you're leaking, but, uh, or, you know, reporting on rather, um, IDFPR the last I heard and last I heard that was like eight months ago. Um, they're supposed to release rules on not only how dispensaries can handle refunds and exchanges, because that was something that came around with the Illinois, uh, cannabis regulation and, uh, control tax act. I don't know. I mess up that mm-hmm. the name of the bill, bill all the time. Um, but the other thing, um, was the idea. So there's the refunds and exchanges. Um, damn, what it was the other thing I'm losing my train of thought y'all. Mm-hmm. Um, Hmm. We, we were just well, I, I think that they have been really slow with getting their rules and regulations out. And, and part of it is... is oh, I got it. They're going to yep. define lifelong conditions. I'm sorry. Uh-huh. I, I just totally yeah. blanked on that. Yeah. And, that, and that'll be another thing that changes the number, you know, and what the number means. And because been, then you're grandfathered. Sorry. They have been very slow on, on new, new rules and regulations. And my understanding is, is that almost all of the focus that they have at IDFPR is on the next set of licenses. And that gets back to your next question. So the, the next, your previous question, the next tranche, the next group of licenses is supposed to be 75 new dispensary licenses. And that was supposed to be announced May 1st. 
and obviously it was not. Uh, and that was delayed by a executive order by the governor. And what we learned uh, in a testimony by uh, Toy Hutchinson, the cannabis czar, is that we should expect some small group of those announced, you know, maybe in the next week or two in July, and then a much larger group of them announced in September because there's going to be a lot of ties to the points they earned in their applications and the ties won't be able to be resolved until September. That's exciting. Uh, then the third group is the 40 craft grow 40 infuser and unlimited number of transportation licenses. Those were supposed to come out July 1st, but again, the governor put out a, uh, executive order delaying that. And Toy Hutcherson also previously said, well, maybe we should expect to see that sometime mid August. So we'll see if that happens. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of conjecture. Um, the state has not been very transparent about this. Um, but, you know, I think that they, rightfully so, want to make sure that all their ducks are in a row before they say anything to anybody. Because there's a lot, a lot of pressure in order to get it right. Sure, sure. Well, I mean, that you were the, the way we started this podcast off was you were, you were talking about a significant difference, but I like that you said what exactly Mike Malcolm said. Uh, if you're not aware of him, he's actually an applicant for some of these licenses. It's remained to be seen uh, what, you know, if they deliver on this social equity stuff. I mean, that seems good. It sounds good. Um, but we'll see when this stuff comes out, you know, right. if. Uh, what it looks like. Um, we talked about this earlier uh, a little bit. Um, I just wanted to talk about an article that you recently wrote that made me, uh, it made me jealous of Michigan because they have the MRA and, um, I wanted to talk about what they're doing during these tough times. Um, you know, it's, it's crazy. It kind of is a testament to maybe the fact that we need something like this in Illinois. Um, what I'm reading on your website is that they're, pre-qualifying license at a brisk pace. Can you talk about that? So Michigan has a different process, which is that they have a, a three-step process for a license. So what you have to do is you first have to go and get pre-qualification from the state where they do the background check. They make sure that you have the money and you know that you have a, a series of different things that are required uh, in order to be able to obtain a license. And then once you get the pre-qualification, then you have to go to a municipality and get a municipality's approval to build a site. And so then you get the site approved by the municipality, you get the zoning, uh, you know, you figure your build out, and then you go to the state again and get your final approval. And the final approval is supposed to be somewhat perfunctory, uh, you know, from my understanding, the second approval from the state is, is somewhat perfunctory compared to the first round. The, the pre-approval, pre-qualification is, is the harder round. Uh, but then also you have to struggle with the town and the town negotiates with you on, you know, what it is that you're going to be able to build and what you're going to be able to do. And that is different from Illinois, whereas Illinois, you get a license from the state, you get an approval from the state, and then you have to get zoning approval from a town. And if a town decides that they don't want to give you zoning approval, you can take your license to another town. You can shop it around within certain regions. Illinois has, uh, I think, 21 different regions that they break everything up into. So, right. uh, so you know, Michigan has been moving very quickly to approve all of those licenses, but they don't have as many requirements and limitations as Illinois does. Illinois has this point system, and then it also has an expectation uh, from the governor that a significant number of the licenses are going to go to social equity applicants. So, you know, that still needs to be worked out. No other state puts as much uh, priority on social equity as Illinois does. Right. Yep. It would, it definitely was a big thing that uh, Heather, Staines, I think is her last name. Pushed Senator a lot. Heather Staines and, and State yep. Representative Kelly Cassidy, yes. The two authors he, of the bill. 
yeah, they pushed pushed hard for that, and I think it's it's admirable, and I'm excited to see what comes out of that. You know, um, this is this is kind of wrapping back around to something we talked about, and for that reason, <laughs> it may be a hard question to answer. But I saw that you wrote an article: um, five takeaways from BioTrack data and medical cannabis sales increase. And uh, first of all, I wanted to ask how, if you don't mind, are, how were you able to get BioTrack data? Yeah, uh, from a source. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Okay, fair enough. Um, so, and then my next question is, we'll just move right along. Um, <laughs> my next question is, you know, there was a, I've seen a few people report about a medical cannabis sales increase. Um, I was actually just talking about it with some folks on our Discord server today. Uh, because somebody was like, yeah, you know, I'm really proud that so many of us patients are growing. And I was like, that may be the case, but we're also seeing a, uh, an increase in sales. And um, do you think the increases in, in sales is from an increase in patients? Because the program has definitely gotten a little bit flexible, or especially over the past few months. Um, but, you know, it's opened up a lot with new conditions. Um, or and I guess my follow-up question to that is, you know, why do you think patients are more patients are not growing? Like you see an increase in sales. You, you think after you see the right to grow legalized, you'd see a decrease in sales. I don't know. I, I get, do you see my question? I'm all over the place with it, but um. yeah, I hear two, I hear two things. Uh, the first is, you know, where do I think the, the increase in medical sales is about? And the other is yep. why aren't more people growing on, on the first one? Uh, you know, it's hard to say, uh, you know, I hear anecdotally from, uh, dispensary owners that, uh, that, that medical cannabis patients are, are buying more consistently or becoming better regular customers. Uh, and, and that is actually a reason why some dispensaries are more interested in just staying with medical because, once somebody, whether or not they have a real serious condition, and, and there are some people who are definitely getting medical, uh, medical, uh, I don't know, what do you call it, dispensations or whatever it is, uh, that don't necessarily have serious chronic conditions. And then there are people who definitely do have serious chronic conditions. Uh, you know, once you've gone through the trouble of getting one of those uh, permits, you're going to be committed to buying cannabis on a regular basis. And so, uh, dispensaries like those people. They like those customers. There's a series of hurdles that they have to go through in order to be able to become those kind of customers. And so they're, they're good, regular customers. Uh, and so they're, and also from what I see, uh, dispensaries, because they don't have an unlimited supply and there still is a kink in the supply chain that they're not as interested in committing resources to recreational sales uh, because recreational buyers aren't as consistent and you know not as dependable. So sure. there's that part. Uh, in terms of why people aren't growing more, you know, man, if you live in a city or if you live in any kind of an urban area, that means you got to be doing all your growing inside because you, it, it's hard to do growing outside you have to make sure that nobody can see what you're doing so you gotta have a tall fence and you gotta have it a part of your yard where nobody can look in uh and you know setting up a grow operation inside that's work <laughs> you know yeah i can tell you from personal experience it's it's uh it's not fun <laughs> yeah i mean i've i've never done it but i garden you know regular vegetables and you know that's work i and i can't imagine what it would be like to set up something indoors, you know, in my basement well, or something like that. And not only that, but you know, um, we're talking about medical cannabis patients. And, um, one of the differences that I believe it's not necessary. So something changed, uh, with regard to it, but caregivers in Michigan are mm -hmm. able to grow for the medical cannabis patient. There is a subsect in the law that says that in Illinois, in Illinois law that says that, you know, in cases, in certain cases, your authorized agent, they say actually, which is weird. Mm -hmm. um, they don't say caregiver in that context, but they say that authorized agent is able to tend to your crop. Um, 
and they i think even go to like for brief periods of time they say something to that effect which isn't you know defined or whatever but um i guess the difference or i guess what i'm trying to say is that maybe illinois law inhibits certain patients because one of the things that michigan allows their caregivers to do um and the thing that changed about this recently well, first of all, let me say what they, they were able to do. So the caregivers were able to uh, grow up to 72 plants um, for up to six medical marijuana card holders. Mm-hmm. And that, um, I guess, made up for 60% of the cannabis flower in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. And under previous rule, the caregivers were able to supply flower and infuse products to state licensed growers, processors mm-hmm. to supplement the medical and recreational marketplace. That recently changed. I, maybe it's, you know, part of these changes they're, that they're doing in Michigan. But I guess what I'm saying, is, so what changed about it is that they can't hand it over and sell it to these processors, but they That's can still correct. grow uh, 72 plants for six medical cannabis card holders, which I don't know why you, like, why. I mean, I know I have a feeling why, but I feel like there is a really good argument that that something like that should exist in Illinois, especially when you look at the original list of conditions like those patients, if they have those conditions, they're likely not able bodied enough to grow themselves. You know what I mean? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, and, you know, I think that's, you know, one of the things that the agencies need to address and, uh, you know, the, my understanding is that the state agencies in Illinois are very understaffed for cannabis. Um, and oh, yeah. that, that it has been a, a real significant issue. They haven't even hired, there was a, a person who's supposed to be a overseer of cannabis issues that they were supposed to hire, but they, they didn't, they haven't hired for that position yet. Rumor is that sometime in the next month or so, they should be announcing it. Gotcha. Wasn't that, wasn't that absolved during like Bruce Rauner's tenure um, for medical cannabis? There was like an oversight committee for the medical cannabis program that would allow for, maybe I'm not using the right verbiage and I'm th- I think I'm talking about a different topic. Um, so, there was, okay. you're right, but there in the recreational law that was passed in June of 2019, there was a position created that was supposed ah. to oversee the all of the cannabis stuff. Although it's not clear where that person would be would be working from, and yeah. Troy Hutchinson was originally supposed to was supposed to be named to that position, but there is a, another Illinois law that says you can't take a position that you voted on as a legislator. Oh. So she voted on that as a legislator. And so they couldn't appoint her to it. So the governor had to create a whole separate position. So she is actually working in the governor's office as the senior advisor for cannabis issues. Uh, and so there's still, but as a senior advisor, she doesn't have any direct regulatory authority doesn't have the ability to, you know, she goes to people in agencies and says, the governor would like you to do this, but she doesn't actually have people that answer to her. She has no direct reports, which sounds like a small issue, but uh, having been somebody that worked in federal bureaucracy, uh, you know, it is, I can tell you, it makes a big difference between being an advisor and being the direct line report. You know, people come to you and they say things to you directly. When you're the direct line report, you know things. You can manage things a lot faster and have a much quicker response time. All right. <clears throat> so it sounds like in multiple regards, um, Illinois, is, and it's, you know, it's tough. Like you say, I think the the biggest point is a bit, there was a huge, there was a fast turnaround. We, uh, right. this market came quick. It did quicker than it really ever has in any other state in the sense of adult use markets, right? The, the quick turnaround. And so <clears throat> I was going to, what the point I was about to say is that in a lot of ways, Illinois is lacking in like cannabis uh, leadership and oversight, I guess, you know, from the state level. Um, like I, I really think that we could use something like it, the MRA that Michigan has, um, and I'm, to be clear, I said MRA, not NRA, um, right. <laughs> which we're fine, you know, whatever. But um, so, uh, 
yeah, like like I say though, that these are problems, but they can also be attributed, correct me if I'm wrong, to a quick turnaround um yes. in legislation. So Yes. Yes. So what I tell people um is, you know, hold on, be patient. It is frustrating. These high prices are frustrating, especially. But what you have to understand is that this turnaround is unprecedented. Um and so what you're seeing is unprecedented and things will swing around. Um, it's, it's capitalism. It's, you know, supply and demand. Um, things will come around. I wanted to see, um, can you tell us a little bit about the story that you wrote, um, about Illinois levying fines against cultivators in 2019 and 2020, but none against dispensaries. Can you talk about that and maybe just tell us, yeah, tell us what you would like to. You know, I mean, I, I didn't really have a, a particular thing that I was seeking. Uh, I was just curious, um, you know, what is the state doing in terms of fining people? And, and so I, I foiled the state and said, what are you up to? What have you been yeah. doing since 2019? And, and this is what they told me. Uh, gotcha. I, you know, I have to admit, I was a little surprised. Um, some companies that I'd spoken to had thought that maybe some dispensaries had been fined. Um, but you know, it's not something you talk about, right? If you get fined, you're not going to tell everybody, man, I got this fine and everybody, sure. you know, so everyone, the, there was a lot of rumors and I wanted to be able to dispel the rumors and, and get some hard information out there. Um, and, you Looks know, like, it, it doesn't seem like the state is necessarily being that strict a regulator. Yeah. Yeah. Looks like the biggest fine was from, uh, was on GTI, rather. They had a transportation team. They left the vehicle and cannabis unsecured during delivery. That's pretty nuts. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, and, and it tells you, I mean, all of the fines were against cultivators for security issues, basically. And, yeah. And hey, I think I've actually heard about this one and on twelve eighteen, um, the unsecured exterior door. I believe it was the um, they like you said they appoint a state officer um, to, to to check up on the they he does independent audits. We'll just pop mm-hmm. in from time to time. Mm-hmm. Um, my my girlfriend actually was an inventory compliance manager at one of the stores in the state, and so she was she became pretty familiar with with one of those fellows. Um, mm-hmm. I actually knew a guy that was running, was th- considering taking that job. I try to keep, you know, law enforcement, uh, you know, keep your enemies close. Right. Anyways, okay. um, uh, I think I know about this one in 1218. I mean, I'm not asking for details. I know that the, probably the description that you have is as much as you have, but anyways, uh, it's a crazy story. If it's the one that I'm thinking about that office, the officer or regulator, regulator, I don't know what you want to call him. Um, he basically just walked right into their back stock room. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. So that's pretty awesome. That's that, that. I wish it was me. I wish it wasn't the regulator. Damn it. When, what, when am I going to be <laughs> at the right place at the right time? <laughs> well, I mean, but I think, you know, really what you get here is that essentially the state is, is very, uh, their emphasis is on security so far, and it hasn't really been on too many of the other issues. Um, and and that you know is is an interesting point. Absolutely. So I wanted to plug your website again really quick. Uh, it's grownin.com. You guys have some of you guys have data. Like I say, if you're looking for data on the Illinois cannabis market, this is where you find it. Um, I've not find I've not found as extensive um, just clear, open data. I don't know. I like your guys's charts and everything else. Thank um, you. so yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Um, it's about time that somebody sat down and did something like this. So, um, Thank you very much. yeah, it's at this point that, um, I'm going to see if we've gotten any, any user questions. I did tell our users that you were coming on. Um, if the question is something you don't want to answer, I'll just totally edit this segment out. So, okay. um, let me even see if we have any. Looks like, can... Looks like we do have one. Okay. Um, he's it's Welp eighty five off of Reddit. 
He says, I would love to know if he has any insight into the relationship between Verano, PTS, and the Illinois Relief Fund. At HighMonster420 had some posts on Instagram from fall of 2019 that claimed Verano and PTS actually had some form of shared ownership, that David and Michael Flood of Flood Bros Disposal had put their wives down as owners to make the company appear woman-owned and to obscure their role in lobbying for limited licenses. licensing. David Flood was the chairperson and treasurer for the Illinois Relief Fund, which lobbied against expanded licensing. The actual post explained it better, but it seemed shady and was surprised. I never read about it anywhere else. Christine Heck is listed in the article as a manager at Consume and an owner of a PTS cultivation facility. Mm -hmm. She is married to Michael Flood. I don't know about this at all. So again, if you don't want to discuss this, uh, I don't, I don't even know what this is about. So (laughs) it's the one question we had though. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, you know, it, this stuff is not uncommon. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not uncommon, uh, to other industries too, just to be specific, like I'm going to be general here, but let's just say the construction industry or, or or (laughs) anything. I mean, there's, there's multiple cases where, um, you know, somebody will have their wife be the owner of something or, you know, somebody else in their family. Um, I don't know. It, it's not something that I've investigated. It's not something I've researched. Well, um, on that note, I want to tell people that if you do have like a story or, yeah, I'd um, love to hear about you it. know, <laughs> a lead, um, you can contact um, Mike and Brad. Um, I'm going to say your guys' emails real quick. It's Mike yeah. at grownin.com and brad at grownin.com please do and so yeah i Drop just wanted to say that yeah i'd yeah, love to hear what you know uh and you know i'd love to look into it um but you know that stuff isn't inherently illegal uh sure and and, and it's not necessarily wrong uh yeah. but you know there's all kinds of ownership structures that have been floating around quite a bit absolutely yeah and uh just wanted to reiterate that guys, you know, n- not even to that user, you know, if you guys have anything in, in the Illinois cannabis market that you're, you know, you feel like is a story, reach out to, uh, the folks at grownin.com because they do great reporting. Um, I'm sure you guys honor an- anonymity cause you guys are journalists. So, um, we do. Yeah. So, um, they're, prof- they're professional, check out their website. And, um, I think that, you guys will definitely learn something. I know I've been reading up over the past few weeks and uh, I've signed up for your guys' newsletter. So make sure you do that guys. If you go to their website, it's at the very bottom of the website. Um, And you guys are also on Twitter, YouTube, LinkedIn. Is that correct? We're on Twitter at tweet grown in. Uh, We're on YouTube too, but we don't have that much going on there. Uh, LinkedIn as well. Uh, You know, look for grown in on LinkedIn. Uh, I, I, I do want to. I do want to. I saw you something. posted something to your YouTube, but go ahead, real quick. We, we did. We have. We haven't gotten too active on that yet. Um, you know, you can look for grown in on YouTube. Um, one of the things that uh, I, I want to say is that if somebody does have a tip, you know, we we do honor anonymity, but we have to know who you are. We have to know who it is that's contacting us. We have to be able to verify your information, and we have to understand where it is that you got it. So, for instance, you know, you asked earlier about where did we get the, the biotrack data. We know where we got the biotrack data, and we understand where that came from. We were able to verify that information. And we have to be able to do that for the sake of you, the reader. So, please, don't just send me anonymous emails that say, I heard this story, X, Y, and Z. i got to be able to know who you are and be able to talk yeah. to you. Yeah, he's not going to take a story and just run with it. He's again, he's a professional journalist and he's going to want to verify his sources, you know. So I wanted to plug though because I, you know, Mike, I think you're downplaying. I thought that was a really good video you guys posted on your YouTube. I'm just giving you crap, but the comparison <laughs> to the cannabis industry in Illinois, Washington, Michigan, and Massachusetts, I thought that was a good video. So guys, go to the um, Grown In YouTube channel if. If you're looking for it, I'd just say go to grownin.com and on the bottom left of their website, you'll see links to their Twitter, YouTube, LinkedIn, and uh, I think even their RSS feed so you can subscribe and get stuff off the wire. 
So right. um, <clears throat> as they say in the uh, news industry, right? So um, Mike, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for joining us. Um, and I really would love to have you on again in the future um, because your reporting is just, it, it makes waves. I mean, people talk about it. They share, people share your stuff in our community all the time. And so if I can bring people on, um, bring perspectives on rather that, uh, you know, our, our people want to hear and uh, hear from rather, um, that's, you know, that's, I feel like that's me doing my job. So <laughs> thank you so much. I really appreciate this. Thank you so much, Cole.